You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art trailers and behind the scenes. And this is week two of our random videos. And I just threw a dart out there and I hit one that I've not seen in a long time. A Disney film under Touchstone Pictures produced by Steven Spielberg, directed by Robert Zemeckis. We've got Who Framed Roger Rabbit. This is the tale of an up-and-coming movie star named Roger Rabbit and a down-and-out private detective stay out! named Eddie Valiant. Ooga Booga! Every moment they were together was a new adventure in trouble. Hide me, Eddie! <laughs> it's a motion picture about friendship. Eddie, take it easy! Please, Eddie! Don't tell me I'm making a big mistake! Love. <laughs> Compassion. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I yanked your ears. All the time you yanked my ears? Murder. Marvin Acme. A rabbit cacked him last night. Remember, you never saw me. Sex. I'd do anything for my husband, Mr. Valiant. Anything. And violence. <laughs> Tunes. Gets him every time. You wouldn't have any idea where the rabbit might be? Got a thing for rabbits, huh? The whole thing stinks like yesterday's diapers. It's a comedy a little different from all the rest. Ah, I'm a pig! I'm a tune. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. But tell me, Eddie, is that a rabbit in your pocket or you're just happy to see me? Touchstone Pictures and Steven Spielberg present a Robert Zemeckis film. We tunes may act idiotic, but we're not stupid. Who framed Roger Rabbit? I just can hear the crowds cheering because this has been one of the most requested movies for us to cover, and we've just because of random chance, we have we have it. We're doing it. It's going. We're ha- we're doing Roger Rabbit right now. <laughs> we've got we've got the Roger Rabbit polka dotted bow tie and Jessica Rabbit's completely realistic boobs. Yes, you're Roger Rabbit in this scenario, and I am Jessica Rabbit in this scenario. Oh wow! You how do you stand? How do you keep balance? Um, you know, it's drawn. It's drawn that way. You should see how the spine is drawn. <laughs> Matt, you're not bad. You're just drawn that way. <laughs> exactly that's one of my favorite lines from this i just absolutely love that when she says that yes it's an iconic line from this film oh uh, all you perverted kids don't worry <laughs> yeah there is a lot of attraction to her that kind of weirds me out like i, I she, it's incredible this entire movie's incredible what they got away with so much so much the acting the interaction with the animated cartoons is just crazy but also what's crazy is the creepy like jessica rabbit's hot i want i want to know <laughs> let's just start this off right now i want to know what it is about when we do the animated uh, movies with humans like animated and live action thing 
why there always has to be like a sexy character because I'm thinking of like Space Jam with Lola Bunny and I'm thinking of Cool World with Kim Basinger's character and then like and now Jessica Rabbit here it's like why is there always like a cartoon that like everybody wants to fuck in one of these movies? <laughs> I don't know. Is it like some type of male power thing? Like I'm drawing her, I'm telling her what to do. You know, I I don't know if it's that or it's just do animators want to bang their creation? I don't know. But they're drawing some sexy, sexy characters here. It's really weird. It's really weird because I am I'm not a person who's into cartoons. Uh, I know other people that are and I'm not talking shit about them. But like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't understand it. I'll talk shit about them. That, they're never going to love you back. <laughs> Maybe that's what they're into. <laughs> True. Now, if you're into that, I respect it. <laughs> I want to love something that will never love me back. All right. I got a cartoon for you. Yeah. Here's Jessica Rabbit and her big titties. <laughs> oh, they're, and I love how they're like, they're glistening too, because her dress is like just sparkly. Right. Oh my gosh. The interaction between her and Eddie Valentine. Wow. Wow. I mean, everyone who starred in it. Okay, we just got to go out and say Bob Hoskins, this is his greatest performance, <laughs> I think. I don't know. I just think he's great in everything. Like, I couldn't I couldn't say that this is my favorite. Like, I just love Bob Hoskins every time he shows up. I love Bob Hoskins. <laughs> well, like, his ability to interact with, you know, this is basically how they act with most CG characters. You know, they put someone in a green suit or whatever, so you have something to interact with. You know, we saw it at the very beginning. Oh, shit, I just forgot his character's name from The Phantom Menace. Misa! Oh, Jar Jar? Yeah, Jar Jar. I can do the impression of him, but I can't remember his name. Awesome. <laughs> I should really uh, host a podcast. <laughs> Just burn it to the ground. Uh, so, yeah, it's, you know, we've been doing this for a long time, and this is one of the first ones I remember ever seeing on the behind the scenes. But he's just incredible. He gets it. He knows how to interact with nothing very well. In a time when this was unprecedented, when this wasn't done. <laughs> so let's start with the director robert zemeckis you've heard of him correct i've i have seen all but five of his films and he's made a lot so i've seen a ton of them <laughs> I, I love how you just counted away because i mean i counted yesterday when i was watching this i'm like i feel like i've seen like all of robert zemeckis's movies and i've only missed five and the only one of those five that is like sort of like a a big one is romancing the stone i've never seen that movie yeah, I've definitely seen that one. I like that one a lot. I mean, 1941, I've seen. I don't remember much of. Well, he didn't direct that, though. That was Spielberg. Oh, no, he that. wrote that. That's right. He was a writer on it. Mm. I don't know if he like came up with it. Yeah, his first one was I Want to Hold Your Hand. I've never seen that. Never seen that. Yeah, Used Cars, I've heard of. Used Cars is great. Used Cars is great. Okay, all right. So, Romancing the Stone, I've seen, loved it as a kid, watched it all the time. It was basically the backup to Indiana Jones. Yeah, I just missed it. I just didn't see it. Back to the Future, incredible, no debate. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where I think he just put in like his like bit as one of the best directors of the 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, Back to the Future 2 and 3. And then he goes on and does Death Becomes Her, which... I really enjoy because it's it's a weird dark comedy. Uh, do I think it's the best dark comedy? No, but it's fun. And also, he got a great performance out of Bruce Willis, which I think, looking back nowadays, bravo. Uh, De yeah, Death Becomes Her is one of my like top maybe twenty favorite movies ever. Oh, really? 
it's that high up there i think it's a perfect movie i love its style i love its dark comedy i think it's one of it's one of my favorite movies ever yeah what always blows me away is he does forrest gump and i think at that point he's (laughs) he started to reach the steven spielberg level but he he's not a household name like spielberg right and i think it's because he kind of pivots after uh forrest gump when he could have become like spielberg household name and he starts experimenting a little bit and he gets into weirder stuff he goes into sci-fi like thriller because you get contact what lies beneath i think a really underrated but then he comes back with castaway so it goes back to the popular like big you know i want to capture all the general audience because castaway is also really good I, i mean but then he does polar express and i really don't like that i'm just i'm not a polar express or beowulf fan yeah i ju- i liked beowulf but like i don't like the cg people thing uh it doesn't look real it looks weird it freaks me out but beowulf was like kind of gory and fun polar express is not my thing yeah and then i didn't even see christmas carol <laughs> neither did i that's funny yeah. like i gave up i'm like yeah i'm not into these but then he comes back with flight which i thought was Really good. Okay, maybe not really good. I just thought it was a really solid film that I think my grandparents would enjoy. Yeah, I agree. I really liked it too. I thought it was solid. I never saw The Walk. Me neither. Or Doc Brown Saves the World. I know that's a short film that he did. I think it's like a commercial or something. Oh, is it? Yeah, Yeah. it's not even like anything. Let's see, Allied. I didn't see this one either. This is Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie World War II spy drama. I never saw this one. I didn't either. How have you seen the Welcome to Marwin? I did. Yes. Is how what's your feeling? It's a weird fucking movie. Uh, it's not. I I never saw the documentary on the guy that made like the doll dioramas and stuff like that. I never saw that, but I'm I'm aware of like the story. Uh, and the movie is told very like untraditionally. Like it it is fragmented. It's it's uh, you know, partially animated with like the dolls and stuff like that. And it doesn't really it doesn't really choose a focus. It sort of is a bigger picture, just like here's this guy that made dioramas and he was kind of a strange guy and he, you know, might have been a cross dresser and stuff like that. So like it's a it's an interesting movie. I, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I don't think I'd ever watch it again though. Yeah, and he's got a new one coming out called The Witches. Yes, this year it was supposed to come out this October, which I was hyped for. I love the nineties I love the nineties original uh the witches i think it's great so i mean i heard robert zemeckis and benicio del toro and Anne hathaway and i was like okay no no no. let me explain it to you more no no i'll watch it i don't care <laughs> yeah you give me and it's like witches and like monsters yeah yeah for sure yeah and then i heard he's a, apparently it's going to happen the he's doing a live adaptation of pinocchio uh i'm not excited about that because i was like I don't need another Pinocchio. Yeah, they're going to do something cool. They're going to do cool effects with Pinocchio, I'm sure. It's going to look really crazy, and I'm sure the whale scene is going to be amazing. But the story is going to be the same Pinocchio we've seen a hundred times already. <laughs> yeah, I don't really get it. Um, Plus, we already we already covered the most essential uh, Pinocchio live-action yep, movie yep. on this podcast. So, a Little Thomas. Uh, oh, shit. What's his... Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Nightmare Fuel. Yep. Yep. We've already covered it. What a wackadoo movie. (laughs) 
What I want Robert Zemeckis, to, I mean, he wants to. He has stated that he doesn't think it's ever going to happen. The two things he doesn't think is ever going to happen or is not even close is he wants to do another Tales from the Crypt movie. He has said that. Mm-hmm. Producing it, whatever it takes to get it off the ground. I don't think it's going to happen. He doesn't think it's going to happen. So it's probably pretty good that it's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but you never know. And, you know, Who Framed Roger Rabbit sequel. I think we I think we could see that at some point. I think I, that one, yeah. I, I think the rights issues with Tales from the Crypt were like HBO owns the Crypt Keeper and, you know, the the publishers own the the book rights or whatever. I think it's going to be impossible to try to make another one of those movies, but uh Roger Rabbit I think could happen. Uh I'm really curious. This reminds me and I I guess talking about Robert Zemeckis is a good time to bring this up. But there's supposedly maybe a third Tales from the Crypt feature that was shot in the 90s that may just be in a vault somewhere. And I really want to fucking try to uncover this thing. Uh, it's been one of my life goals to try to find this supposed maybe already shot, maybe in a vault, third Tales from the Crypt movie from all the guys, you know, Zemeckis and Walter Hill and David Geiler, all these guys that did the other movies in the show uh, in the 90s. So I really want to find this thing. So this is this is my call to people here that are listening on the podcast. If you have any ins with Universal or with Tales from the Crypt and their holdings or HBO, let me know because I'm trying to find this movie. And some people say it doesn't exist. Some people say it does exist. Uh, And I'm trying to, I think it's, I can't remember the name of it now, which is a shame because that would help in my case so much. But if you have any lines on this, guys, tell me because I'm trying to find this thing. (laughs) Yeah, I remember. I want to say it's like Devil's Night or something like that. Yeah, because I know someone did that independent one of it that was just i don't know how they got that do you know what i'm talking about yeah they did uh, ritual which is like kind of like the half-assed third tales from the crypt movie but it's not it's not the real it's not you know it was uh sort of one it was one at first then they cut the crypt keeper and then they added him back later it was a weird thing yeah the ritual one that was 2002 film dead easy yes. yeah it was the um, New Orleans one, right? Right. Uh, New Orleans zombie one. That is supposedly, they made it. Supposedly, you could, you could it, it exists. But other people say they never even got to shooting it. So because there's these big discrepancies, there's got to be something. Maybe they shot some of it. You know, maybe there's something out there of it. But yeah, I'm trying to find this thing. And yeah, I if 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 we can find that, that would be like, I would love to get that out. <laughs> you know, I've heard other people debate that like, oh, they started principal photography and they did some tests. That probably sounds like a more realistic. It would be it's hard to believe that they would shoot like the majority of the movie, the whole movie or whatever. And we someone didn't leak something. Right. Yeah. I could easily see principal photography or a couple scenes of like just testing the the landscape of. You know, I think it was it, Dead Easy or Fat Tuesday, whichever they wanted to end up calling it. Because that was, I'm sure Dead Easy is just like a shooting title. They could keep it. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know if like Dead Tuesday is a Tales from the Crypt title to me. I don't know why. I just like hear it and I don't get excited. Yeah, I, I bet both titles were just shooting titles. I bet they were going to try to come up with something more like Demon Knight or Bordello of Blood. Something a little more salacious, regardless of what it is actually called. Somebody's got to find this fucking thing or what exists of it. 
We went through our history of Robert Zemeckis. We love him. What's your history with Who Framed Roger Rabbit? You know, it's funny. I watched the VHS that I've owned since childhood uh, for this. I've I've saw this movie as a kid. Watched it all the time. Haven't watched it, though, in like maybe 10 years, 10, 15 years. So it was good to revisit. Mm-hmm. How about you? Have you seen this one a ton of times? Oh, man. I wore my VHS copy of this out as a kid. I watched it at my grandma's all the time, which blows my mind because she thought... The mask, you know, was full of the devil. You know, I'm watching that, and it would make me a sinner. But I, I rewatched Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and I'm like, you're cool with this? <laughs> oh, man, they really did not censor us kids in the 80s. They're just like, yeah, you'll be fine. Yeah, I miss this. I miss this time. You know, this movie kind of exists, I feel like, in terms of raunchiness. This one exists somewhere between Space Jam and... Which which are is going to be the movies I compare all the time. Space Jam and Cool World. This is right in between. Like Cool yeah. World's a little extreme. Space Jam's really safe. This one's right in between. It's it's safe enough, but also definitely dirty enough as well. Yeah, and this movie really helped Disney because it brought back the golden age of animation. Because this is right before the 60th anniversary of Walt Disney animation, you know, Mickey Mouse, and everything like that. I can't remember. I think it was like 19, what, 92? Somewhere around there, right? Where it was the 60th anniversary of Mickey Mouse or whatever? I don't I don't really, I don't remember. I don't know much about uh, the Mickey Mouse world. <laughs> well, it really, you remember the golden age of cartoons coming back. Because, I mean, Space Jam is a perfect example without Roger Rabbit, who framed Roger Rabbit. Space Jam does not exist. I mean, I would even I would take it a step further and say without Roger Rabbit, like, well, it led to led to eventually um, Little Mermaid as well for Disney. Like this movie really helped Disney with their animation studio get back on track as well. Yeah, this helped a lot. This really took Disney into the direction of like, I think they even started doing the Disney afternoon after this and spending a ton of money on that. You know, with your gummy bears bouncing here and there and everywhere. That's right, folks. Get it stuck in your head. <laughs> Some early, early ni- late 80s, early 90s animation uh, shenanigans. Well, I mean, this might not have directly influenced, you know, DuckTales and all this coming back. But it got people interested back in the golden age of animation where, you know, Hanna-Barbera probably was like, fuck, Roger Rabbit's making us look bad because look how much money they spend on their animation. And, you know, Hanna-Barbera is just about produce, production. It's, mm-hmm. you know, quantity over quality. Mm-hmm. Disney is the exact opposite for the most part. It was quality over quantity until they, you know, got their Disney sequels going in the 90s. Right. And then it was just like, put it out. Get them all out there. Pinocchio 2. <laughs> Lion King 2. Two and a half. Whatever. I don't care. We've gone through our history of Robert Zemeckis who framed Roger Rabbit, you know, and we got pretty good ones. But if we're walking down the video store on a Friday night, do we rent this? Yeah. So I'm looking at the cover here and here's here's our cover. It's Touchstone Pictures and Steven Spielberg present a Robert Zemeckis film who framed Roger Rabbit in a very cartoony font. And then we get Bob Hoskins and then the cartoons around it. We have Roger Rabbit and uh, uh, Baby Herman and... Jessica Rabbit with Christopher Lloyd looking like menacing in the bottom corner. And that says received four Academy Awards, including a 1988 Special Achievement Oscar. Um, Yeah, I think this is enough to get me to watch this. 
Yeah, you really know you don't fit into the Oscars box when you get a special achievement Oscar for the you know the year after it was created because they're like, uh, this is awesome. What do we do? Yeah, how do we how do we praise something that mixes live action and animation? Uh, which really, this is kind of one of the first movies to do it like this. Like we had Fantasia, but that was about it. Well, yeah, we had Fantasia. You know, we had Mary Poppins and Broomsticks, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. But this is like completely immersed. The worlds are mixed. In that one, you know, it was someone dancing and they were, you know, overlaid onto it, but they weren't really inter. They were somewhat interacting and dancing with the characters, but nothing like this. Right. I mean, this just took it to a new level. It like blew the roof off. You know, it's just like, this is nuts. No one had ever seen anything like this. And all, everyone, everyone was on the same page. It's like they got into a huddle before this movie and they said, let's blow everyone's mind. Let's work 18 hour days. Let's sleep in the studio. Let's do this. This is Terminator 2 of like the animated live action mixture. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why... It kicked in the door for a cool world and Space Jam and everything that's come since, you know, with like the CG and live action interaction, stuff like that. Like it, it, this is, this is a landmark movie, you know, say what you will about the movie, whether you like it or not, this movie changed the game. And yeah, uh, yeah, everybody was on the same page for it. I mean, this is Spielberg and Zemeckis coming together and being like, how do we, why do we top the past uh, few years of filming? How do we do something completely new and crazy? And this is it. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure after this, Spielberg was like, the student has become the teacher. Because yeah. this is just, this is wacky. Like, my jaw was open, just like Bob Hoskins, when he's looking at Jessica Rabbit for the first time. I, I was floored. I couldn't he, believe, like, I always knew this was groundbreaking, and I always knew it was good. I watched it a lot as a kid. But rewatching it now for the first time in 10, 15 years, Wow. I don't have anything great to say about it because it just does it all for you when you watch it. I couldn't believe how good this was. Just the technical standpoint, just the interaction between the humans and the cartoons is so convincing. And I mean, obviously, this is crack to a little kid. So, of course, I love this as a kid because it's like I could live in a world with cartoons. Are you kidding me? And this this paints the world so well. One of my favorite things in movies is like world building and that's something that really excites me and i really enjoyed getting to see sort of this world built where yeah like you have this that one scene where like the guys are interacting with the different tune like not weapons but like the hammer and stuff like that and it's like the idea that i could interact with these animated things was just like next level for my kid brain Sam here. Daddy Fallon. Well, you're a sight for sore. I ain't seen you deny on to five years. Where you been? Drunk. You feeling frisky tonight, fellas? Yeah! Yeah. (laughs) Let's go. So flipping it over to the back of this VHS, Matt, what are our quotes and what's the description? Brilliantly funny, the Chicago Tribune. Extraordinary, the Los Angeles Times. A landmark, Gene Shout, the Today Show. Once in a generation of film like this comes along. Now, Touchstone Pictures, Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis have teamed to give us Who Framed Roger Rabbit. 
a four-time Academy Award winner that's already a contemporary classic. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a tale of a man, a woman, and a rabbit in a triangle of trouble. It's a world where laughing can be dangerous and romance can be hilarious, and tunes and people live side by side. It's a wonderful place you'll want to visit again and again. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? The chemistry is magic, the effects are astonishing, and the film is unforgettable. Pretty incredible. Best sound editing, and then we had best visual effects and best film editing, and then they gave them a, a special achievement award because they're like, uh, uh, we've never seen anything like this. I mean, I, I would never have to read the description on the back of this. I'd just rent it. Oh, I'm in already. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. even, I don't even need the words. Hell, <laughs> hell, who am I kidding? We bought it. Yeah, yeah. And this is my childhood VHS I just read, so. <laughs> when I saw the commercials for this, that it was 1999. We've gotten lucky because there is no inflation on movies. Yeah, the fact that all all of my life movies have been affordable is kind of wonderful. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, now the only time we pay $30 or above is for these boutique shops that do a shit ton of work. To, they take it from the VHS, the high def, and then they add a bunch of special features. But otherwise, when a brand new movie comes out, it's either $14.99 at Best Buy or, or $19.99, it seems like. Right. So it's nice that we've grown up in an era where we can kind of own any of the stuff we like. <laughs> Everything else is inflated, but not our movies. <laughs> Friends will laugh again. Families be amazed again. Choose the critically acclaimed film of the decade and get everyone into the Who Framed Roger Rabbit habit. Give the video to someone special this holiday. <laughs> Talk about perfect casting. I know that Bob Hoskins wasn't their first, second, or 15th choice, but he was the perfect choice. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd wonder if, like, Bob Hoskins was the only one agree to do something so risky, you know? Like, I wonder if he was the only one kind of game to play, whereas maybe some of the other actors that they would have went with just didn't trust it. Well, I mean, Touchtone, you know, was the more adult version of what Disney put out, and... You know, this was 1988, 88, right? 88 is when it came out, yeah. You know, when they're putting this together. I mean, the production, pre-production on this took a really long time. Really, Disney started getting more serious into it back in 86. Because they'd been trying to get this movie off the ground since when they immediately bought the rights to the novel this is based off of, which is called Who Censored Roger Rabbit. Once that book came out by Gary, uh, Gary Wolf, you know, they were like, we got to make this movie, but they couldn't. There was too many factors in the way. There's too many hurdles. Who do we get to direct? Well, we need a big name. And you know, how, how do we even do this? I think that was the biggest question past that. It was just like, how the fuck we do this? Right. And we need a script. So they had a lot of like hurdles to jump here. I think, you know, like once you get back into 86, it was kind of like the second gear up for this. And they're like, Spielberg is very interested in producing that. And of course, once Disney has Spielberg's name, it's going to happen. In 1986, I would assume when they were putting this all together, that's when you're like, okay. But then what really set this into motion where this shit is getting done is once Zemeckis did Back to the Future, done. We're making this. And it just, like, turbocharged. Because then you get, you know, Touchtone Pictures basically partners with Amblin Entertainment 
this shit's off. We get Alan Silvestri onto it. We get, you know, Dean Cundy comes in to be the cinematographer, you know, cinematography, which Dean Cundy love at this place is just everything. Halloween, the thing. Just, I mean, on and on and on. This guy's a master. We just call him Papa Dean at this point because he's uh, he's just, you know, part of our world in such a big way. There's only two Deans that I love. It's Dean Cundy and Dean Norse. The two we talk about the most on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> the only Deans that matter. <laughs> and if you're listening to this and your name is Dean, your parents did a good job. I once had someone ask me, they're like, you know, I've never seen anyone like Dean Norris as much as you. And I was like, okay, well, they're wrong. <laughs> and they're like, well, who would you choose? Dean Norris or Michael Ironside? I go first. That's rude. That's like choosing who do you want to keep, your daughter or your son? Outrageous. Yeah. You're, right. you're a jerk, but if I had to choose, I would go with Ironside. But Ironside and I would make an entire, like, shrine to Dean Norris. And uh, that's that's how, that's the only way I could choose. Yeah, it's a tough decision. Yeah, Dean Norris is such such a part of our world here. Who asked that question? Rude. <laughs> anyway, back into the actual movie of this. But yeah, there's so much, like, crazy pre-production fun in this you know, when it just comes to who's going to play Eddie Valiant, of course, it is the 80s, so Harrison Ford had to be involved. And uh, I I think that would have been a mistake. No, Bob Hoskins is the only way to go for this movie. I can't imagine anyone. I don't care how fucking famous they are. I can't imagine anyone else in this role. So you can't see Chevy Chase in this role? Because he was number two, and they, they wanted him, but he was not interested in this. No, that's his only Hoskins stand for life. It's only him. <laughs> you didn't want uh, Bill Murray said he would have taken the role, but of course they couldn't get a hold of him because that's what Bill Murray does. And then he got to make up to with it for being in uh, Space Jam and Osmosis Jones. So he got to make up for it by being in two live action animated movies. <laughs> yeah, and they, they really wanted Eddie Murphy after that. And then once Eddie Murphy turned it down, saying he just, didn't understand it which is which is probably the reason most of these guys turned it down <laughs> but there's a whole list before we even get to bob hoskins we have to go through robin williams who couldn't do it because of conflicts robert redford didn't want to do it jack nicholson didn't want to do it sylvester stallone didn't understand it and definitely didn't think he was right for the role i uh, completely agree completely agree ed harris charles groden i mean there's just so many and then finally they get to Bob Hoskins. And I don't know what role convinced them that he could do it. But I do know as soon as Robert Zemeckis uh, did test screenings with him, they're like, oh, shit, this is Eddie. Done. And th there was no debate after that. As soon as yeah. the test screens came in with him, it was over. Yeah, I can't. I literally all those people you just mentioned, I can't imagine being any better or you know, as iconic as Bob Hoskins is in this role. Like, it, it has to be him. Yeah, and the, another one that, like, Christopher Lloyd uh, had a few people before him, most notably Christopher Lee. But, you know, with Robert Zemeckis using him in Back to the Future, once he dropped his name, it was kind of like, well, okay. There was a few other people, you know, like Peter O'Toole was considered, Eddie Dizon, which is really weird, but you know an even weirder one? I mean, well, Roddy McDowell. Again, I don't think these guys work, but one that I kind of want an interesting alternate universe to exist. 
is Sting. Yeah, I would love to see Sting in that role. I love Christopher Lloyd in this role. I think he's perfect in this as well, but I, and I love Christopher Lloyd. But yeah, Sting, that would have been fun. Yeah, I just kind of want an interesting alternate universe. Like, what would that be like? Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I'd be into that. Christopher Lloyd, always bringing it. And uh, I know he based the character off of um, the Klingon he played in um, Star Trek Three. Nice. Yeah, I never saw Star Trek Three. I don't know. I got another one that I want to live in this world, too, is Tim Curry playing Doom. Oh, yeah, that would have been... Yeah, Tim Curry can do no wrong. So it would have been great if he would have done it. Another interesting pre-production is... Initially, Terry Gilliam was set to direct this film after coming off Time Bandits. And I love his excuse of why he didn't take it. Pure and simple, laziness. He looked at it and he goes, Oh, that is way too hard. Says in an interview, he's just like... I just looked at it and I knew the commitment level was too high. It was too hard. I just came off time bandits and he ended up choosing um, Baron Munchausen was the same year. Yeah. Which ended up being a complete mess and went on for like eight, 12 extra weeks. Well, you just got to wonder if Terry Gilliam had the, the foresight to know like, hey, every time I try to make a movie, it's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're giving me animation on top of it and they have to interact with it. No way. No way. I already have enough problems. And then he continued to make movies that continue to have problems. <laughs> I can easily see why Disney and Amblin would be like, yeah. Well, I don't know if Amblin was part of it at this time, but I could easily see why Disney would naturally think like, oh, he has a lot of experience with animation, you know, and real life characters that he makes. Like, why not graduate to this? Let's break the, the mold on something that's never been seen before. But I do love how he's just dead honest. He's just like, uh-uh, too much work. Yeah. And you know what? I might have done the same thing if I was him. <laughs> no, but Robert Zemeckis was the exact opposite. He's just like, I want to break the mold. I want to do something that someone's never seen. And he brought everyone on board who wanted to be part of that, too. This reminds me so much of Jurassic Park, where they brought people on board who just wanted to set the world on fire in a good way. They wanted to blow people's minds. This movie has the fucking dream team of like the producers and the people behind the scenes. And yeah, to, you know, Zemeckis at the lead here. This is all people at the top of their craft at the time being like on top of the world and then all coming together to be like, all right, let's do a super fucking hard thing, but let's make it awesome. Let's be a landmark movie. And they did. And they did. <laughs> let's melt some brains because they sure did. <laughs> All right, so getting into the videotape, I would say we rent this, obviously, because, I mean, like you said, this is like crack for kids. Yes. I'm just so amazed that, you know, they advertise this towards kids because you remember uh, the McDonald's commercials, Diet Coke commercial. I don't know if you, you don't remember, but I remember the McDonald's. Big news. McDonald's supersized cups now feature the stars of Who Brained Roger Rabbit. I'm a coon. at McDonald's for a limited engagement appearing on three different supersized Coca-Cola cups the stars of the new movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit Good time, great taste Supersize makes in my place The good time, great taste from McDonald's Big fun! <laughs> yeah, you, you sent it to me um, which is you know, exactly the kind of stuff I love too, like the the branding mixed with this is something we bonded over early on. We both love like the branding of the movies and like the different things that they did to sell it and stuff like that. And yeah, these commercials 
for McDonald's and stuff are delicious. I don't remember them because I wasn't alive yet, but like I, I I've gone back and since watched the ones you sent me. And like, I remember seeing some other commercials on some other tapes for it. It uh, this was a super marketed film. This was super pumped. Do you remember all the Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Or I should say, do you remember all the Roger Rabbit cartoons in front of stuff? Again, I remember hearing about it because I never saw it. I wasn't alive yet, but I was almost coming. I was on my way out, but I wasn't there yet. Uh, I didn't see, like, I know there was one in front of Dick Tracy, right? Yes. Yeah, I remember hearing about them, but I've never seen them. And yeah, I never saw them in theaters, obviously, because I was just too young. Well, and then there's the one in front of... Who sh- uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Dick Tracy one actually hurt because after that, Steven Spielberg kind of put the kibosh on it because he owned half the rights to the character. And I know he was upset that they didn't put it in front of Arachnophobia. Because mm, he was involved in that one. There was supposed to be another one come out for another movie, and I don't remember what it was, but yeah, he put the kibosh to it. We ended up having like four cartoons before movies. Nice. That's a nice little run. I think the only, yeah, the only one I think I'd seen is the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids one because it's on the tape. Yeah. Uh, But the Dick Tracy one, it's not, yeah. That was just in the theater. And you know what? I I don't know why I thought this, but I always had an illusion that there was a cartoon in front of Gremlins 2, but there isn't, is there? I don't think so. There was other stuff in front of gremlins 2 in the theater but not a roger rabbit i don't think yeah because i was like wb i always thought the wb did something too but i guess they didn't i think i just made it up because i always thought gremlins 2 and batman not that they had roger rabbit obviously that's a a disney and amblin property but i always thought they had cartoons because i always remember a lot more cartoons before movies in my head than actually is in reality but i do i do think gremlins 2 has something I don't know what it, I don't remember what it is, but Gremlins 2 had something in the theaters that is not like on the tape or the DVDs. I think you're right in thinking that. Is it something with Daffy Duck like advertising WB's merchandise maybe? I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't know what it was, but there was definitely something before Gremlins 2 that's different from like the video. So we need to investigate this and make sure it's not a Mandela effect where I'm just remembering (laughs) shit that isn't real. Right. Anyway, so this videotape, putting it in. Now playing at a motion picture theater near you. I was really surprised because mine doesn't have anything before the tape. Oh, mine mine has one little promo, and it's just for like the 1999 VHS's collection from Touchstone. And it, it, it's got stuff like Cocktail, this... I don't remember all the movies. It's like a, it's a ton of them. It's not like, mm-hmm. you know, four movies. They do like a big clip show where there's like... 10, 15 movies, and they're like, all these videos are priced to own at $19.99 from Touchstone Video, and then the movie starts. Yeah, so they don't actually focus in on one film. It's just, uh, look at all the films we've done. Yeah, it's like a 30-second montage for like their video collection for uh, 1988. Mine does not have that. I just rewatched uh, the video that I captured of it like four weeks ago or whatever when we picked this out, it feels like. I'm sure it wasn't that long ago, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I think it was three weeks ago. So, yeah, it's a long enough. <laughs> it didn't have anything. And I was like, oh, my notes are right. Because in my notes, trailers, none. Boo. I'm surprised this one didn't have more. I just think at the time, maybe. And this is this is an answer that may not be true at all. But because uh, and I have no confidence behind this statement. But I think in like 87, 88, there still wasn't a lot of trailers because they 
Hollywood hadn't quite caught on yet that VHSs were as big as they were. I feel like 89, 90, that's when we start to see a little bit more trailers appear. And then by mid, mid, late 90s, then it's fucking 15 minutes of trailers before the movie starts. But I think we hadn't quite figured out the power of VHS yet in 88. Okay, maybe it's because it's two companies combining. And that too, it's like, is Amblin going to put their stuff in front of the movie or is Touchstone? And at that point, maybe they're just like, neither of us will. <laughs> I mean, they could easily just choose one video each, but no, that would be too hard to do for all these gigantic egos. They, yeah, they really do just get right into the movie, though. Here, I mean, like I said, I get a commercial that you didn't have, but it's like a 30 second spot. So it's not like it, they're not advertising a single a singular thing here. So putting it in. And now our feature presentation. This film immediately introduces us to Roger Rabbit and baby Herman. You know, from the advertisement that I can see in a lot of this, baby Herman seems like he was more popular at the time because now without watching this film, you don't really know baby Herman. No. Yeah, I think the dirty baby <laughs> trope was bigger then than it is now. I guess, yeah, nowadays, like, everything's so, so... Well, especially in the 90s, I'm sure Baby Herman got thrown out really quick. They threw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, <laughs> man, the 90s got so censored. It's just like, kids can't handle this! And nowadays, we're like, kids can watch people get killed online all the time. Like, and now we're just... I think now we're just trying to give kids escapism. <laughs> Listen, we know that you know the world is bad, so here's Frozen 2. Yeah, there's something about the 90s, though, where we, I don't know if it was a pushback against that or what, there was still so much weird stuff. And I feel like the dirty baby trope was still really popular in the 90s. It just isn't anymore. Done. It's stale. Yeah, nobody does it anymore. But I do like all of this. Like, the director gets mad at Roger Rabbit for not producing stars. He makes, uh, you know, like, birds above his head, even though he's getting this shit beat out of him. And they're like, why can't you get this right, Roger? Cut, 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 cut! What the hell was wrong with that take? Nothing with you, baby Herman. You were great. You were perfect. You were better than perfect. Just Roger. He keeps blowing his lines. Roger. What's this? A tweeting bird. A tweeting bird. Roger, read this. Look what it says. It says, rabbit gets clunked. Rabbit sees stars. Not birds. Stars! Can we lose the playback, please? Roger, you're killing me. Killing me. For crying out loud, Roger. How the hell many times do we have to do this damn scene? No! I'll be in my trailer. Take a nap. Excuse me, toots. But did you catch who the director was? Is, uh, is the director Joel Silver? Joel Silver. That's what I thought. I know, I know Joel when he pops up. <laughs> I didn't. I had to read that, and I went back and watched it. I go, holy shit, that's Joel Silver. Oh, man, do you think he was on Coke that day? Uh, in 1988 or 87 when they would have shot this? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> At this time, I'm pretty sure he was 25% Coke. Yes, he was running on it. Yeah, 75% human. <laughs> yes. Actually, 70% human, 5% alien. Yes. That dude is nuts. I do, I do love a lot of his movies that he's a part of, but man, whew. what a weird guy! It's funny too, like if you'd have, you know said like, oh, what, what director is gonna go down for being a complete creepazoid? And I'd be like, oh, Joel Silver, and I think he's still going. He might be a dick, but I don't think he's a creepazoid. Yeah, so far so good for him. He hasn't been called out for anything, and yeah, I just think he was just like a coke nut. He just wanted explosions and fucking 
crazy ass movies in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, Joel Silver is probably more the guy who would like blow up your garage, but he he wouldn't, uh, you know, molest your daughter right. <laughs> or something. It's just like your daughter. You had a daughter. I blow up your garage, by the way. God damn it, Joel. <laughs> At least you didn't touch my daughter. Joel is part of that team of like the Tales from the Crypt guys like Robert Zemeckis and Walter Hill, David Geiler, and there's a fifth one that I'm forgetting. Oh, Richard Donner. Those are like the five guys. Those are the that's Tales from the Crypt. So yeah, it's no surprise that Silver's in here because him and Zemeckis must be buddies. Does a good job. Gotta admit, I bought it. I, I thought he was just a, you know, a character actor, bit actor. And I was like, oh, that's a OK. Yeah, he could. He did it well. <laughs> yeah, he's having fun in this for sure. Yeah, but we get farther in the story, and then we see that, you know, we get a, a P.I., uh, and we know immediately, when they introduce Eddie Valiant, you know, Bob Hoskins playing him, we know we're in a film noir right away. Yeah, this movie is very much as much in noir as it is, like, an animation send-up. Uh, it takes it super seriously. Like, the movie itself is not lost on the gimmick. It's still a movie and it's still a noir and it still has this story running through it. It's not it's not just a gimmick thing. It's a very, very hard line into noir here. Yeah, I love it too because I, I think they're just like painting a picture of LA that kind of doesn't exist and that's kind of funny because like the one part when he's just like, why would I have a car? You know, the public transportation in LA is the best in the world. And you're like, uh, <laughs> uh what? <laughs> Yeah, I have to look at the history of L.A. to see if that's like a true thing, like if they really did have like a really serviceable metro system and then they got rid of it in favor of the freeway, which is sort of the plot of this movie. Uh, I wonder if that actually happened. I wonder if that's all real. Someone knows. We don't. We're, we're, yeah. we're Chicago. You're a Chicago baby and I'm a um, an adopted Chicago kid. So we're Midwest kids. We don't know. We don't know any better. In Chicago, we we can drive anywhere and we can take public transportation anywhere. Best of both worlds. That's right. But wherever we go, traffic. Yes. Everywhere you need to go is an hour away. But (laughs) we can get there any way we want to. First of all, Maroon Cartoons cracked me up. (laughs) It's like the guy's name is Maroon. Yeah. Love it. And, uh, you know, he's he's making cartoons to make money. You know, he's wheeling and dealing. He's living in Hollywood. He's he's a little annoying, but at the same time, I don't hate him. I, I also love sort of like this world of cartoons that is, it's like the new cartoons, like Roger Rabbit, Jessica Rabbit, stuff like that. And then we have like Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny and stuff like that. So the tune world is like all the tunes. It's all the tunes we've ever seen. And it's a whole slew of new tunes as well. Yeah, it's fun. And like right away, like when you see... You know, Bob Hoskins interacting with Dumbo where he freaks out and he's getting the deal, which, you know, like his interaction with Toons is so good. They set this up, you know, the cinematography of how they set up the shots and however they got people interacting with Bob Hoskins or all the other actors. Crazy good. Yeah, I think a good word for this and the way they kind of use the animation with the live action would be seamless because you really can't tell. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's like, Jessica Rabbit's arms are around Bob Hoskins in that one scene. You know, uh, Bob Hoskins is picking up Roger Rabbit by the throat and giving him a kiss. You know what I mean? Like, they're there. It's so seamless. Yeah, and you know an interesting interaction, well, an interesting characteristic of Eddie Valiant is 
He used to work with Toons, him and his brother, before his brother was killed by a Toon. You know, he used to be the detective or the, the PI, the private eye that you would go to both of the brothers. Toons would go to them because they're like, hey, if you need some, if a Toon needs help, go to the Valance, you know. And they're, they're from a circus family. We see like the family had, yeah. So there's, there's sort of this, like the legacy of cartoons and how it started in the circus is connected here. Um, by the way, talk about a good balance of showing and not telling. Like they're showing and telling. It's a great balance because they just run through. And this is an old trope, which still works, by the way, where they go through the entire pictures of your family and history. But instead of doing it over the titles, which we always got in you know TV movies, this is notorious. They're like, oh, they would just do a, or a lot of like movies where they didn't quite know to set up the history. They would pan over all the adventures you had in photography. Mm-hmm. But in this one, it's short. It's not too long. I think that's the biggest problem in movies. They spend like five, six minutes of doing that over the title sequence, and you're like, ah, boring. This one does it in, what, 20 seconds? It's basically one shot. Yeah, you get one quick shot, you see all the pictures, and then we move on. But you get all that information. Like, it's long enough to be like, oh, okay, 1908, his family was in the circus because the picture says so. We don't need to focus on it. We don't need to be on it for 5, 10 minutes. Just go past it really quick, and I'll get it. And yeah, information received. Yeah, and he's constantly telling people, I don't work for tunes. And, you know, we see that where he gets into the fight with the guy at the bar where he shoves the hard-boiled egg in his mouth. (laughs) What's his problem? But we also get another side of Eddie where you know he's talking to Betty Boop before he sees Jessica Rabbit for the first time and and she knows him and he's nice to her you know like telling her she's still got it yeah they have a friendly rapport and even though he is you know he needs alcohol to get through his days because the pain of his brother dying but at the same time once he figures out that Roger Rabbit didn't commit the crime of killing um Maroon right the producer? I think so, yeah. I actually forget who, yeah. I can't say that confidently, but yeah, I think so. Yeah, because Eddie Valent takes the pictures of uh, Mr. Acme and Jessica Rabbit playing patty cake, which cracked me up. Mm-hmm. Roger Rabbit drinks the drink and runs away. And then the next day we find out, you know, we get introduced to Doom. Judge Doom, played by christopher lloyd who plays the shit out of this role uh and you know he's just like i'm going after roger rabbit and i'm gonna kill him gonna fucking execute him and he's not joking he has a dip that he can put tunes in and they melt so yeah he's not fucking around because we see it a few times we see him use the goop to literally melt tunes and that's the only way you can kill tunes because they can't be hurt so they have to be melted (laughs) hardcore shit he kills the shoe. Since I've had Toontown under my jurisdiction, my goal has been to rein in the insanity. And the only way to do that is to make Toons respect the law. How did that gargoyle get to be a judge? Spread a bunch of simoleons around Toontown a couple years back. Bought the election. Yeah. What's that? 
Remember how I always thought there wasn't a way to kill a tune? Well, Doom found the way. Turpentine, acetone, benzene. He calls it the dip. I'll catch the rabbit, Mr. Valiant. Then I'll try him, convict him, and execute him. <laughs> Gloves, Mr. Valiant. But this is how we handle things down in Toontown. I'd think you of all people would appreciate that. God, that shoe one messed me up so much as a kid. I was so bummed out about that shoe. I know. I like even as an adult and I rewatch it, I go, holy shit, he's really gonna he killed that shoe. <laughs> it wasn't quite as bad as killing a dog, but I it was close. It was like one of those I go, whoa. It was like sad. You like felt the the shoes pain, and I'm like, that's not even real. But you feel it. You feel it because it looks so good. That's the perfect example of like warping reality. Is like we just saw a cartoon shoe that we have no emotional investment in die, and we're like, what the fuck? Yeah, and it like stings and makes us feel weird, and it's like, ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah, good job, storytellers. All right, so going through this film, I think we probably need to take more highlights of this film because there's too much going on in a film that still paces really well. There's so much in each scene, like in behind the scenes and everything. I don't really know what to concentrate on, but yet the cinematographer, you know, Dean and Robert Zemeckis, they keep you focused on what's important. But at the same time, I also feel overstimulated. I think I agree completely with that statement. There is, there's a lot of stuff that happens. You know what I mean? Like story-wise. But yeah, it, it doesn't feel over long. It doesn't overstay its welcome. One of the things I point out like that's just, like interesting that you had to slow down and watch, otherwise you never would have noticed, was, and I'm about to get into how fucking racist our cartoons were back in the 40s, 50s, and maybe even the 60s. I don't know about that. I think the 60s started to change things because... Obviously, America started to change in the 60s. Mm -hmm. You catch Tar Baby in the scene when Eddie Valant first uh, reaches Toontown. I don't know if you caught that. It's very tough, and the only reason I ever know about it is because I heard about it a long time ago. I, I went through a time period where, because I wanted, I was very involved with animation, I went to school initially for animation, I wanted to be kind of like an animation historian. Let's just say that. So I went through a lot of our racist characters in the 40s and 50s. Probably even the 30s too, to be honest. I can't remember how far back I went. But anyway, I read about this and then I just went down, you know, a large rabbit hole. But right when he enters Toontown, they have him all the way to the right where he says this way to the Tar Pits. He's holding a sign. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you remember where Tar Baby's from. Mm -mm. And I also didn't see him in the movie either. I didn't catch him this time. Just a... Uh, Google it, YouTube it, you'll see it right away. But what it is, is just like it was, um, I forget the rabbit's name in Song of the South, where it's a distraction so the wolves could, like, I guess, get the rabbit. I haven't seen that movie in a long time because it's, you know, one of the most problematic cartoons ever. I I've seen it, so I've already got past that shock value. But I mean, yeah, Tar Baby's right there. That had to be something that the animator snuck in there that no one noticed, right? Or it was on purpose to just, you know, 
stir shit or just like you know oh i think it's a jab at disney trying to erase its uh very problematic past that's more yeah i guess that's sort of what i'm trying to articulate that's what i think it is you know like i feel like it's like a this exists this is this is here but we don't have to like dwell on it i feel like that's more what it is i'm sure disney said don't put that in and then an animator or a group of animators got into a huddle and said we're putting that in right oh absolutely Right. And they snuck it in like for two seconds, maybe. And it's all the way to the right of the frame. If you don't know, it's if you're not looking for it, you won't see it. Yeah. And I didn't. I didn't even know it was there. People, if you don't know about it, the WB had some bad ones, too. Oh, yeah. Nobody's innocent of that uh, from the time. Like nobody gets away with it. But uh yeah, yeah. I mean, if if we're talking about animation and this movie is sort of about tunes and the history of them, we got to talk about racist ones. It's it's just part of the history. One of the ones, uh, Toys Will Be Toys, that I just got from a video shop and I uploaded on there. Like, if you look at the video, like two minutes into it, there's a, you know, Southern woman racist stereotype. It just became part of the norm. Like, oh, no one saw that as a problem putting in like the horrible racist stereotype right yeah it was such a part of just the time and i think it's you know i think it came from a lot of the racist stuff was in response to wars so i feel like you know having like the very racist like asian character was a very it was a 40s response to world war so because of that then it was everything was kind of fair game then because they got away with that so it was like well we'll talk about other stereotypes then and i i I think they felt safe in that, and I think that's maybe what led to a lot of that. Yeah, there was a lot. Yeah, I mean, you had Native Americans that they would make a racist stereotype and all kinds of things where what it was, and, and like I, I hear the debate over this too, and we're just going to briefly touch on this because we're not that type of podcast. You know, if it's offensive to the actual people that it's representing, then it's offensive, and they are offended by it. So therefore, it's offensive. Just move past it. Uh, make it a part of history. Put it in a museum. Move on. Right. You know, I'm not saying everyone who put in these racist, um, stereotypical cartoons were racist. A lot of them probably just didn't even understand what they were doing. They're just like, just oh, ignorant. Yeah, it's just like, oh, it's in the script. I'm drawing it. I'm not even going to question it because I want to get my paycheck. And it's kind of like, you know, the silence is acceptance. But a lot of them probably didn't even know what they were accepting. I'm going to actually go out in that limb assuming that's how most animators were. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I bet it was just they didn't even know. Past that big old stick in the mud, I guess you could say. You know, we get into a lot of other crazy fun stuff. And I think we just got to highlight Dr. Doom. He is one of the scariest bad guys I remember as a child. He, yeah, I mean, the last... 20 minutes of the movie when you know he's half tune and half person is nuts and yet terrifying for a child to see <laughs> uh, when i killed your brother my voice was a lot like this <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy remember me eddie when i killed your brother i talked just like you know it really fooled me as a kid I knew it was coming as an adult, like I know the story and everything, but I do like to pay attention to how well they hit it, but at the same time gave you hints. Yeah, I mean, I didn't 
uh, the first time I saw this movie, I mean, I, yeah, I was a kid, but yeah, I didn't know. No, I was floored. It was a good twist, twisty twist. Yeah, and uh, I called my mom and asked her if I saw this in the theater, and she's pretty sure I did. So she brought me to the theater to watch this. Nice. So I'm sure as a kid in the theater, I looked back at my mom like, <gasps> he's a tune. And he's a bad guy. Oh, my God. Yeah, with with the red eyes, the red bulging eyes and stuff, he's terrifying. Yeah, when he gets crushed and then blows himself back up. Oh, it's so freaky deaky. I feel like I hadn't watched this movie in the last 15 years because there's like you're kind of like we were talking about. You're kind of inundated with a lot of information in the first half. But that second half is so strong that like that's why this movie is like beyond being a landmark in innovation is considered a classic because the second half of this movie especially the last 20 minutes are so good i mean and and bob hoskins going into toontown is just fun you know and then you know having all these stipulations of the rights to use these characters where the wb and disney were both like you can use our characters but well disney didn't have to agree to it warner brothers had you know but you have to use all of them the exact same amount of time. And that's why you get Daffy Duck, Donald Duck doing dueling pianos, which is spectacular. And then like the moment with Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse when they're falling and they're interacting is such like it almost gives you chills because it's like so these are like almost historical figures and they're interacting in a way we never would think we would see because of the rights issues. <laughs> What's up, Doc? Jumping without a parachute? Kinda dangerous, ain't it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, you could get killed, huh? You guys got a spare? Uh, Bugs does. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think you want it. I do, I do. Give it to me. Gee, uh, uh, better let him have it, Bugs. Okay, Doc. Whatever you say, here's the spare. Thank you. Ah, <laughs> oh, no! Ah! Oh, poor fella. <laughs> yeah, ain't I a stinker? Bugs is kind of a dick by giving him his spare parachute, which is actually just a spare tire. And, you know, Mickey's like, oh, poor guy. You know, like how they both are perfectly, they represent their characters perfectly. Exactly. So I don't think they gave anyone any room to reject this. And plus, they probably saw what they were doing. You know, like, you know, the dailies, I'm sure they were allowed to see it. And they're probably like, holy shit, this is awesome. Yeah, I feel like the argument against putting all these characters in this movie was useless because look at what they were creating. It was like, yeah, we have to be a part of this. (laughs) Yeah, and I I bet Hanna-Barbera probably is disappointed that they didn't like, I don't know if they actually asked them, but I'm pretty sure a lot of them were like, damn it, really should have got into this. They were probably kicking themselves for sure, regardless of who said yes or no, or if there was any interaction at all. I'm sure they were pretty bummed when they saw the film. More to Judge Doom. Uh, I do like the changes throughout time of the bad guy because initially they wanted more of Jessica Rabbit to be who framed and then they went to the baby, dirty baby. I'm just going to call it from that from now on. <laughs> the dirty baby to be who framed Roger Rabbit. And then eventually it was, they created a character you know, called Judge Doom and Judge Doom was going to have a vulture that sat on his shoulder the entire time. But that became too complicated of how they were going to animate that and interact and so they, you know, pulled the vulture and then he was going to be carrying a briefcase with his cane. Well, no, he was going to be carrying a 
briefcase, which later turned into a cane because they ended up cutting the kangaroo court that he carried in the briefcase, which is going to be 12 kangaroos that say you are guilty. They'd all hold up one letter, mm. which I think is fantastic. But they just yeah, said, that's a fun idea. Well, I mean, this movie's budget initially was estimated at 50 million, but they ended up cutting it to 35 million or and then eventually it just became 50 million dollars again because they there was a lot of stuff where they're like we're gonna have to figure this out we're gonna have to experiment we're gonna have to reshoot which touchstone disney you know they're like yeah fine because when this movie hit it just blew everyone's minds right they probably knew they had something special so they were gonna pump money into it yeah it made 300 329 in the bucks office 329 million off of a 50.6 million dollar budget but the marketing for this movie is huge so i'm sure the total budget ended up being closer to 100 million dollars but either way they made it (laughs) and the video sales on this was stupid this wasn't like one of those you know how we've gone over like uh you know trimark where they're like buy three movies get one free i bet this was just like listen they're a hundred dollars a piece you're gonna buy it you're gonna need it for your video store. <laughs> Did they even send out promotional tapes of Roger Rabbit? Is there any point? Oh, I wonder if there is. I don't know. If there's any screener copies or because you know Dick Tracy that was Touchstone, right? Mm-hmm. They sent out one, but does a movie like Roger Rabbit, who is so insanely successful, does it even need it? <laughs> yeah. Why waste money on sending out those tapes? Here's here's the price. You'll pay it. Yeah, this, all you got to do is look at the box office receipts and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. You know what you're, you know, you know what it's worth here. But, uh, okay, any other character you want to highlight? No. Any other scene? No, I think I talked about, like, my favorite stuff. My only other one before we get into the museum is, I guess it's two of them, and it's voices. Kathleen Turner as the voice of Jessica Rabbit uncredited is odd. I love her as the voice. I thought it was strange she was uncredited. Yeah, I wonder if that's like a... I wonder if it was like a... She was under contract with somebody and couldn't do it and then did it anyway type thing. Like, you wonder why. I don't know. I've always wondered why because he worked with Kathleen Turner in in Romance of the Stone. Yeah, I wonder if it was just like a thing like uh, where she contractually wasn't able to do it but wanted to do it anyway. So Amy Irving was a singing voice, which is just as much, you know, as Jessica Rabbit. And but she was credited. Mm-hmm. I just don't get that. It's interesting. Yeah, it'd be weird. It'd be interesting to find out why. My other highlight is, you know, Charles Fletcher as the voices of Roger Rabbit, Benny the Cab, Greasy and Psycho. I think he was great. And I do really like that they chose him over Pee Wee Herman. Was he the other one in the running? Yeah, he was the voice. And I guess after listening to him doing the voice, they decided to go another direction i'm glad they did because i think that this is charles's like most famous thing yeah this is his chucky so to speak right right exactly he's just so good at voices like when i found out he was also benny the cab and then i listened to benny the cab i'm like oh that's obvious how did i not know that (laughs) during the movie i had no clue he's that talented yeah, I, I mean, I other than seeing it in the credits, too, I didn't know that he was multiple characters. But yeah, this is what he does. He's a he throws his voice and does it when you hear him talk like normal. He doesn't sound like Roger Rabbit. You know what I mean? Like he's so he's good at that. 
Charles Fleischer. What a what a what a gift. What a delight that guy is. And this is the second time he's been on Analog Jones. This is the first time you've talked about him on Analog Jones, but Sarah and I did Straight Talk, which is the Dolly Parton movie that she chose one day, and he's in it. Well, that's on my shelf, so I'm excited to see it. Yeah, so let's go into the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out into the film jungle like Indy, bring something back. And I guess we're bringing something back to our animation wing of the museum. Maybe Disney? It's a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of everything. Amblin as well. Uh, yeah, it's a four quadrant title. What can I say? Yep. And I'm going to go first because I'm going to I'm going to hit you. I'm going to beat you to the punch is what I'm trying to say. I'm going to put in Judge Doom. Boom. He's amazing. And he's scary. And he's <laughs> terrifying. Man, what a performance. It's a great performance. Yeah, he's he's very good in the movie. Um, yeah, I it's a good character. I don't think I would have taken him, though. So good. Glad we... <laughs> glad you got him. Yeah, I don't know. For me, there's so much that I like about this movie. And if there was... I don't know if I want to take a character. You know what I want to put in? I want to put in like the drive in to Toonland. That's probably my favorite. Uh, I love just like when they're singing Smile, Darn You Smile, and you you got the sunshine. I love the sunshine animation, by the way. I love the face in there. It's so fun. Uh, but yeah, when he's like first driving in to Toontown and it's all the trees and you see all the different characters and stuff like that, it's wonderful. And I think like that, his journey into Toontown is the audience's journey into Toontown. And obviously Toontown is where you want to be when you're in this. So yeah, I think that's going to be what I throw in the museum here. Yeah, you know, thinking about that because how terrified Bob Hoskins was like going into that world. Yeah. But they we don't enter Toontown until like an hour in. Yes, because we do so much of the noir stuff for so long, which is why this movie is taken so seriously, I think. Anyway, so okay, so we got Toontown and we've got Judge Doom. Yeah. That's a that's pretty good pretty good additions. I like yeah. it. I don't have any problem with that. Uh, I mean, did you ever play the NES game? No. It's frustrating. <laughs> like most movie games. Did you collect, uh, did you ever see the McDonald's cups? I just in the, you sent me a video earlier today and I did watch that, but that was the first time I had seen them like in an ad like that. I've probably seen them at like flea markets and stuff. Cause I always see those people that always sell the movie tie and stuff, but yeah, I've never, I never owned them or knew anybody that had them. Yeah. We used to collect them. Uh, we definitely had the stuff from McDonald's and everything. I remember nice. drinking out of those cups. We had them for years at the house, but wow, that's a lot of soda in one cup. oh yes oh mcdonald's took care of us back in the day yeah they they gave us sugar highs that's for sure (laughs) okay i guess that's gonna end it for our uh trip down memory lane and who framed roger rabbit yeah it's a much beloved movie 
it's a it's a landmark for a lot of reasons and i i think it's gonna stand the test of time and i do think at some point we might actually see a second one i hope we do um i mean obviously it's not gonna have bob hoskins in it we lost him a couple years ago Mm -hmm. i don't know what role he would have really played you know i've heard they wanted to do a prequel i think there's a couple books written there's a prequel where i think bugs bunny is actually roger rabbit's dad interesting it's true i've never read any of these books i i these books have never interested me to read because one reading is dumb and two (laughs) i've seen the movie i think i'm i'm good i i i don't know if we need a sequel i would watch it i agree with that sentiment because sometimes you just want to stay in the world that the movie is you don't want the extra stuff like the books or any you know any more sort of insights into the world beyond the movie and maybe yeah a sequel would be bad too because like what it all works here i don't need any more beyond that because this is all good you know why ruin it with something else i feel like that is sort of the the fear of a sequel and probably why you and i wouldn't either i wouldn't read any of the other books i don't care i did see though there is there's a vhs out there of roger rabbit cartoons i don't know if these are the ones before the movies if they're exclusively made for the vhs but i did see that there's a very best of roger rabbit vhs out there i'm curious what that is oh yeah it came out in 1996 yeah i don't know i don't know if it's the shorts that were played before the theater things or if they're different cartoons or what it is but uh that's sort of the only other thing you know i never played the game not going to read the books the only other thing I saw that exists beyond the world of just the movie. Tune-up sales this Easter with Roger Rabbit. Available to own for the first time on video, the original Roger Rabbit maroon cartoons shown in theater. So we got Disney animators and Steven Spielberg serve up breathtaking animation and stunning special effects that appeal to both kids and adults. The feature film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, grossed over $350 million worldwide, featuring... Tummy Trouble, Roller Coaster Rabbit, and Trail Mix-Up. New on video. Initially, it was $12.99. $12.99 for three short animations? Disney, man. People would pay it. You stick Spielberg and Disney on there? Yeah, I'm sure they would. <laughs> I know I sent this to you in text, but the amount of movies that came out when this movie came out in July 1988 is insane. Yeah. That's why I said it was like, it just looked like the eighties. Like it was just like all these movies that are like super identifiable as like eighties movies all came out at like the same time. (laughs) I'm going to read the top 10 from gross, just gross money made in July 1988 in the box office coming to America. 89 million who framed Roger Maverick 70 million. Big, 33 million. The Deadpool, 27 million. Bambi, the re release, 24 million. The Great Outdoors, 22 million. License to Drive, 22 million. Bull Durham, 22 million. Crocodile Dundee, 18 million. Die Hard, 18 million. And then a few more that I think our fans would be interested in Willow, 16 million. Short Circuit, 15 million. Short Circuit 2, 15 million. Red Heat, that's an Arnold movie, 12 million. Big Top Pee Wee, 8 million. Cocktail, I know you're a fan, that's 8 million. And Rambo 3, 6 million. I mean, when you talk about like movies that like raised us, those are it. 
<laughs> 88 just had a treasure trove of some of the biggest movies of our generation. And this is just July. Yeah, that's just one month. Imagine walking into a multiplex at that time, you know, and those are all the movies that are playing in the theater. Wow. And 88, did that's when Child's Play came out. Yeah. 88 was a stacked year. Yeah. Crocodile Tunti 2 cracks me up, though. Yeah. Like, that that was a rush because I'm pretty sure Crocodile Dundee came out in 87. They rushed that shit. I would not be surprised. That was a cultural sensation, so I would not be surprised. That is a total blind spot for me. I've not seen any of those movies. Oh, I could have sworn that Crocodile Dundee 3 was one that you would watch just to piss people off. <laughs> you are correct in that sentiment i just haven't yet <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i just feel like crocodile dundee 3 everyone would be like crocodile Dundee 3 that was a cultural sensation and i could see you popping up and being like yeah but crocodile dundee 3 has got a lot of good stuff in it <laughs> everyone just looks at you at the party what the fuck <laughs> crocodile dundee what, what was it like goes hollywood or something like that or goes to uh, what is it? What's the third one called? I don't know, but the fourth one should have been Crocodile Dundee Goes to Space. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Maybe one day. Paul Hogan's probably not doing much else these days, so. Is he alive? Yeah. Because he looked like he should have had skin cancer in the 80s. Yeah, he's still kicking. Watch it, kids. <laughs> Blast from the past. Different time. <laughs> that ain't a knife. <laughs> All right, that'll end it for this week. Next week, we're going to come back and we're going to finish another franchise. Only two tapes. Uh, you oh, One tape and then one new movie. I think you can figure it out if you just look at uh, what's going to be released in September. Not going to tell you. Got to figure it out. You got to be a PI. Go out there and find this. Be a detective. Yeah, uh, I think you're going to really like it, what we're going to pick. And I think you're going to really like the next episode. So come on back. So remember to be kind and rewind.